All right, I'm, uh, I'm going to get much more specific. The pastors are the visionaries. I'm the engineer. So we're going to talk practical obedience, and that's going to be my topic. Um, let's start with a definition. Webster's Third New International Dictionary has a definition of obedience that I love. It's compliance with that which is required by authority, subjection to rightful restraint. Obviously, parents are the authorities ordained by God to impose rightful restraints on their children, and, uh, and that's what we're about. So, Billy's talked some about it, but I'm going to talk a little bit more about why we train our children for obedience, uh, in obedience, and of course, the reason is that we need to keep the big picture in, in focus on is that the Christian life is a life that has been set free. We've been set free from ourselves and our sin in order to be obedient to God and his word. So that's what we're training our children for, is to be obedient children to God. And of course, Jesus is our example. In John 15, Jesus tells his disciples, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So we want, obviously want our children to be people who abide in the love of Christ. So we want them to be obedient to his word. And then in Hebrews 5, 8, and 9, describing Jesus, it says, although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. So again, let's keep our eye on the big picture. We're training our children to be obedient. We're building that character in them to prepare them to follow God and obey him and his word as they grow and mature. So what does obedience look like? Um, in Bible study, there's the principle of first occurrence. Usually when a topic or a word appears for the first time in the Bible, it's an important thing to pay attention to. The word obey appears first in the Bible in Genesis chapter 22. In the story of Abraham being called by God to sacrifice his son Isaac. Genesis 22 verses 1 through 3 say, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love. First occurrence of the word love in the Bible. Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So this is our biblical picture of what obedience is. We can see four very important things in, in how Abraham responded to the command of God. First of all, um, his response was immediate. He rose up early, he prepared himself. So obedience is immediate, no hesitation. Secondly, we see that his obedience was complete. He did all that God said. He went to the mountain, the place which God had told him about. Thirdly, we see absolutely no challenge here. 
He did not question God. We've seen Abraham question God in the past about Sodom and Gomorrah. Are you really going to do that? So he was somebody who had that kind of relationship with God, but there were no questions here. He did not challenge God at all in what he was telling him to do. And there was no complaint. So we often refer to this type of obedience as first-time obedience. I would say that the phrase first-time obedience is redundant because obedience is immediate. That's the definition of it. Second-time obedience is disobedience. Um, and of course, what we see in this picture, in this, this story that we've read here, is that this is all about relationship, right? So obedience is all occurs in the context of relationship, the relationship between God and Abraham, the relationship between Abraham and Isaac. And of course, this is a picture of the relationship between God and his son and, what, and the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus is going to pay for us. So we keep obedience in the context of relationship. And that, again, is our goal, is to prepare them to be obedient to God. God is very, very serious about the relationship between children and their parents. Um, in Exodus, we're, we're going through Exodus right now in, in church, and in Exodus chapter 21, um, they give the, God specifies the death penalty for people who strike their parents or curse their parents. God's really serious about how your children treat you. Um, fifth commandment, honor your mother and your father. Um, first commandment that even speaks to the relationship between man and man. First four talking about our relationship to God. So again, the first commandment God gives about relationships is make sure you honor your father and your mother. That's good. And of course, there's a verse we're all familiar with, Ephesians 6.1, children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So, again, our responsibility as parents is to make sure that our children don't violate God's will and desire for them in the way that they treat us. So we need to treat them um, train them in such a way that they will grow to obey and honor us. All right. With that as the big picture backdrop, I'm going to revert to engineering lists. I have 18 practical tips for training your <laughs> children and obedience. <laughs> All right. Tip number one. Do not neglect your marriage. There is a cultural misconception about the family. I don't know if it's asked so much anymore, but back when Susan and I were younger, you, people would often ask a young married couple, when are you going to start your family? Referring to when are you going to have your first child? That implies that you're not a family until you have children, which is very, very false. You are a family. You establish your household when you get married. Again, that's the first social relationship that God established was the husband-wife relationship. So God established it. You are a family. And the children just expand the family. They're additions. So the husband-wife relationship is the priority relationship within the family. And the best thing that you can do for your children is to be a loving, good husband to your wife and a loving, good wife to your husband. 
within that secure, loving relationship between husband and wife, that's where children really thrive, they're secure, and they can be trained. The problem comes as if we get too child-centered in our training, and that is tip number two, don't be a child-centric family. Obviously, children have many needs that have to be met, especially when they're newborns. They require a great deal of care and attention, but again, the child is being added to your family, so your world, you don't want the world to revolve around your children. You want to add your children into what you and your wife are doing, into your vision for your household. <coughs> If you make them the center of everything, that really teaches selfishness and it creates insecurity in them. And it makes it difficult for them to train. Your children need to know that mom and dad love each other, that they love him, and you need to show him how he fits into your family, into your world. And also by loving and honoring each other, you give that example, that training example to your children to honor you. Tip number three, set clear boundaries. Children, in general, have no problem with rules. It's usually the parent's problem in not enforcing them properly. Again, children thrive in an environment where they're secure and they understand what expectations are. So if you set very clear boundaries and they understand them, then they thrive. If you've got fuzzy boundaries and they get punished for doing something that they didn't really understand, then they get insecure and you have problems. So make your expectations very clearly known. And that leads into point number four, which is be in agreement. Father and mother, you've got to be in agreement. You've got to be consistent in what the standards of behavior are and how you enforce them. Children will always find the more lenient parent and test the boundaries. Which leads to the point number five, which is be consistent, all right? Enforce those standards of behavior consistently. Disobedience must have consequences, and remember that disobedience is not responding immediately, completely, no complaint, no challenge. When you require the standard that you've laid out, the children, the child is the one that makes the choice as to whether he gets punished or not. Within this point, again, obedience is defined as immediate. Do not become this repeating, threatening parent. Make the command. If it's not obeyed, there's a consequence. If you get into this threatening repeating, and I understand sometimes it's difficult, busy day, multiple children, it's, it's difficult, but children will learn, oh, dad doesn't really mean it until he says it the fourth time. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep playing with my toys, even though he told me to pick them up, and when he gets to number four and his voice raises, then I'll, then I'll pick them up, because then I know I'm getting in trouble. So be consistent, be clear. Point number six goes right along. Speak your instructions very clearly. So speak your instructions in such a way that it demands 
action and you're showing your child that you expect it. Okay, again, I understand the busy day, doing dishes, multiple kids, you know, kind of speaking things for them to do while you're trying to take care of stuff. However, when you're training obedience, you really need to speak your instructions clearly to the child. So you need that connection. You really need face-to-face, -face, have your child look you in the eye, and give you a verbal response so that you know that they heard you, that they're not incorporating that selective hearing that they can get and say, oh, I didn't hear you tell me to do that, Dad. You get that verbal response of yes, Dad, or yes, Mom, so that there's accountability, and that, uh, that helps you to train them to obey. Um, tip number seven, don't give an instruction or a command that you are not willing to enforce. Again, that goes right along, right? At any time, your child may decide that he's going to test that, test your resolve. Okay? It may be one of those days where the child decides it's a good day to die. And they're just not going to, they're not going to cooperate. We're going to see how far this goes. Okay? So you have to be ready when you give a command. Um, I recall a day many years ago, Susan and I were babysitting for a couple of kids in the church who were going nameless. And um, I can't remember exactly what happened, but the young man who was about four years old uh, did something, and I very, I very clearly told him that he needed to say, I'm sorry. I think he needed to apologize to me. Um, and they, that young man just could not let the two words, I'm sorry, come out of his mouth. And uh, I spent several hours in the bathroom with that young man. It was not the way I planned on spending my evening, but it was, it was necessary. I mean, I knew, I knew the young man, I knew his issues, you know, we were friends, and so it was just something that needed to be done. So, again, don't give a command unless you're, unless you're ready to enforce. And that leads to my next point, point number eight. Right, am I eight? Yes. Um, pick your battles. So if you know you have a child that has a problem with a certain thing and you know it could be a battle, um, you know, choose your timing so that if you're not in the middle of business or whatever and you can, you can have that training time with them. Right? If they have trouble picking up their toys, maybe, maybe the standard of picking up their toys has gotten fuzzy or they're just lazy, then you know, arrange your time, make sure you've got the time to enforce the training. Tip nine, do not underestimate your child's ability to learn to obey even at a very early age. Um, Crispin and Kristen Gabriel are in our home group and uh, their son Moise is getting ready to turn three in a couple months and he was their first child and so Susan and I were talking through child training things with them when, they, when Moise was first born. So a couple years ago, um, Moise was five or six months old and they were setting boundaries up within the house. And um, one of their boundaries was their shoes. They took their shoes off when they come in the front door and they set them there and they didn't want Moise to be getting into their shoes. So that was a boundary that they were making. And 
they were trying to enforce it, and he was having some trouble learning it, and Kristen was concerned, does he really understand that this is a boundary or not? Um, so she was just having trouble really, you know, enforcing and punishing. She's like, what if he doesn't understand? Well, one day, she was at home with Moise, and she had to, she had to go into the bathroom, and while she was in the bathroom, she noticed that, that Moise was in the front room, and, he, and things got very quiet. So she was alerted that maybe something is amiss here. Um, so she snuck out of the bathroom and peeked around the corner, and Moise was at the front door, lying on his back, just waving shoes <laughs> in the air, very contentedly. So Kristen very wisely snuck back into the bathroom, made a bunch of noise like she was coming out, came out, the shoes were back where they were supposed to be, and Louise was ignoring them. So at six months of age, Louise very clearly knew that this was something he wasn't supposed to be doing. So, so don't underestimate their ability to understand. Tip number 10, don't overestimate your child's readiness to make choices. Young children really can't handle the power of decision-making until more of the training and the wisdom gets imparted to them. So when your children are very young, if you give them too many choices, it makes it difficult to train them in obedience. If you've spent the day asking them what they want for breakfast, what toy do you want to play with this morning, what do you want to drink with lunch? You give them a lot of choices, and then you give them a direct command. Well, they're going to sit there and they're going to wait for, okay, what's my choice besides picking up my toys? You told me to pick up my toys, what's my option? You know? So, uh, so when they're young, be very directive. Don't give them a lot of choices until you can discern as they get older that they can make good choices, for one thing, and that they can handle the power of making choices. Tip number 11, train your child, don't just correct. So be very proactive in your training by modeling the behavior, uh, show your children what you expect from them, and have them practice it. Um, Clean your room. The command clean your room might mean something very different to your child than it does to you. You may have a much different standard for a clean room than they do. So you need to train them in what that standard is. Make it very clear to them. Um, you want to practice things like just for safety purposes. I mean, you want, you want your children to stop and come to you very quickly and immediately. I mean, you really want them to obey a command like that just for safety. If you're in a parking lot and they get loose and they're running towards a car or something, you want to be able to say, Joey, stop, come here, and have them obey. So you want to practice that, not when the incident arises and correct their behavior, but you want to practice it at home in a safe environment and get that, that obedience in place. Um, sitting still in church. You can't train that in church. You need to train that at home, right? So you practice at home, okay? Um, tip number 12, don't bribe your children. A bribe appeals to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and it promotes selfishness. It manip manipulates your child into behaving properly rather than training 
obedience. A reward after the fact is fine. Because you behaved well in the store, we're going to pick up some ice cream on the way home as a treat. As opposed to, if you behave well in the store, we'll pick it up. Again, don't bribe, but feel free to reward. Number 13, a pet peeve of mine, whining, excuse me, whining is not an acceptable form of communication. Um, children whine uh, because, well, for several reasons. Number one, if they're just too young and, and they can't express themselves, then a lot of times whining becomes the way that they express themselves. And I know a lot of people do the the sign language things for please and thank you to help minimize that. But as the children get older and they can express themselves and communicate, um, you really need to correct the whining out. Because whining, they do it because, well, they'll continue to do it if they find it's effective. It's not, if it's not effective, they're not effective, they're not going to do it. They don't want to, they whine because they don't want to challenge your authority directly. It's easier to kind of go around it by whining. And uh, they'll continue to whining if they find it if they find it's effective. So you can do several things. I mean, the main thing is is to correct it. It's like, no, I don't respond to a whining question. Take five minutes and come back and ask me the question the right way. Um, if we don't, children don't just outgrow whining. Whining children turn into complaining teenagers, who turn into grumbling adults. So you want to train it out of your child. All right, tip number 14, do not punish in anger. Um, so if, if, if an offense, if a disobedience has occurred that requires punishment, do not punish in anger. Punishing in anger creates potentially a mismatch between the severity of the punishment and the crime committed, right? You don't want to overpunish. You don't want to underpunish. So you need to be in your right mind to think logically about um, a number of factors to determine the level of punishment needed. Okay? So again, when you've made the standard clear, the child is determining whether he gets punished or not, then you determine the level of punishment needed and you consider the offense, you consider the frequency of the offense, uh, you consider the context of the moment, you consider the age of the child, uh, you consider the overall characterization of the child's behavior, just, you know, you know your child. And so you, you can't be angry or you don't think clearly enough to set the right level of punishment. Um, and one of the things you need to consider is tip number 15, which is discern between childishness and foolishness in your child. Uh, childishness is really innocent immaturity, Mistakes can be made without any evil intent. Um, and those types of, of um, behavior can be usually corrected by some kind of admonishment or warning. It's probably sufficient. There may be some related consequences to childish behavior. But um, the thing we really need to be concerned about correcting is foolishness, which the Bible defines as um, defiant rebellion, defiant and open rebellion. So foolishness is disobedience that needs to be corrected. And again, it needs to be corrected with the, with the right level of punishment. So there's a, 
Tip number 16 is there's a wide range of ways to correct behavior, all the way from correcting with encouragement to various, again, various levels of punishment. Um, from admonishment to different types of natural consequences or structured consequences to chastisement. Um, there's lots of good books. I don't have time to go into a, an entire description of all the various levels of consequences, um, but I would encourage you to, to look at what the Bible says about child training. Um, also, The Shepherding a Child's Heart is a really good book that, that a lot of the young moms have gone through. So they give a really good detailed description about the various types of punishment that can be used. Tip number 17. After punishment, the relationship must be restored. Again, obedience is all within a relational context. When disobedience occurs and punishment occurs, the relationship is in a state of conflict. And you need to, it's very important to close out the offense and restore the relationship. So it's very important to discuss with the child what they did wrong, make sure they understand, make sure that they understand that I'm correcting you because this is bad behavior, but I love you. I don't like your behavior, I love you to restore that relationship and reassure the child of your love for him. And then point number 18, my last point, is that the whole point of correction is we're trying to train the heart. So you're trying to get to the child's heart. Um, repentance is the goal, not just regret that they got caught, but that regret that leads to repentance and a change of heart, a change of behavior. 2 Corinthians 7, 9, and 10 says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So always, again, the level of the punishment, it's all about, get, remember, it's all about getting to the child's heart and make that change there. Those are my 18 tips. Thank you.